0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Words of Wisdom, a podcast series dedicated to reflecting on the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. My name is Jerry Weirwell, and it is my pleasure to be on this journey together with you to discover the powerful truths that God has revealed to those who desire to become wise and discerning. Proverbs 26 verses 4 and 5 says, Do not answer a fool according to his foolishness, lest you too become just like him. Answer a fool according to his foolishness, lest he become wise in his own eyes. First, we find in these proverbs synthetic parallelism, where the latter half of both proverbs expounds upon and completes the thought from the first half. However, this pair of proverbs seems to present an obvious contradiction. Verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his foolishness. And verse 5 says, answer a fool according to his foolishness. They are literally saying the opposite of each other. How can two mutually exclusive admonitions both be true at the same time? Now, we must remember one of the basic premises when reading and interpreting the book of Proverbs. Every saying is true. The book of Proverbs doesn't contain some true sayings and some false sayings. But the task of the reader is to acknowledge when and how the saying is true. Most proverbs are not universally true in every circumstance and all the time. Rather, most proverbs present true wisdom that is meant to be applied in certain situations and contexts. And part of gaining wisdom is understanding how to properly apply the wisdom in each proverb. So here in verses 4 and 5, We know that they are telling us something true, but it seems that they are telling us something that can't happen. We can't both answer and not answer a fool. We can do one or the other. But here we must be careful, because to draw this conclusion means that we are assuming the proverb to be stating a universal truth, but this is not a correct assumption. Instead, this pair of proverbs is meant to be read together in conjunction with each other. Therefore, rather than competing with each other, we should see these proverbs as being coordinated together and functioning to present an overall understanding about how to use wisdom when answering or not answering a fool. In order to unpack how these proverbs are coordinated and should be read together, we must first understand that this pair of proverbs is a type of paradox. A paradox is a person, thing, or situation Here, it is a pair of proverbs that exhibits an apparent contradiction, but in actuality, it expresses something true. In addition, one of Merriam-Webster's definitions for paradox is "...an argument that apparently derives self-contradictory conclusions by valid deduction from acceptable premises." This sort of pairing of statements that seem to impose a self-contradiction is not a unique literary phenomenon here in the book of Proverbs. Actually, there is a proverbial character to paradoxical sayings that exist in nearly every culture. Some modern American examples might be haste makes waste and time waits for no one. The first statement, haste makes waste, suggests that one should not be in a hurry, but rather take their time while the second statement, time waits for no one, suggests that one should not wait but act now, otherwise time will be wasted. These two proverbial sayings seem to be making opposing claims about how one should view the value of time. On one hand, one should use more time in the course of their activity so as to not make unnecessary mistakes by acting too quickly. And on the other hand, One should not be wasteful with how long it takes to accomplish an activity and to be prompt and efficient because there is only a limited amount of time each day and it never stops running out. Another example would be, you're never too old to learn, and you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Both of these sayings are true, but yet they contradict each other. It is a fact that no one is ever too old that they can't learn something new. But yet it is also true that old people are used to doing things a certain way because they have likely done them many times in their life and have found a way that they like doing them and therefore they are generally not open or interested in learning a new way to do them. Nevertheless, both of these sayings represent a truth and need not be viewed exclusively as though one must be right and the other wrong. So it is with Proverbs 26 verses 4 and 5. The key to understanding how they can be saying the opposite thing and still be true at the same time is by understanding the poetic use of the ambiguous Hebrew preposition translated as according to in both verses. There is a way to answer a fool according to his foolishness that is unwise and unfitting, and there is a way that is wise and fitting. Verse 4 admonishes the reader to not answer a fool according to his foolishness. Otherwise, the consequence is going to be, lest you too become just like him. Here, the meaning of according to his foolishness has to deal with how the answer is given. The preposition according to means in a like manner or in a similar way, in agreement, in type or kind. In other words, speaking and behaving like the fool. If a person responds to a fool in like manner to the fool with foolish shouting, insults, mockery, or whatever improper conduct the fool exhibited to them, then they will resemble the fool's character and behavior and come to be a fool just like him. A wise person should never lower themselves to the level of a fool in order to contend with them. Stooping to be like a fool does not accomplish the purposes of speaking wisdom. The wise person must not answer a fool in a way that dishonors themselves and discredits the wisdom they speak. Wisdom behaves and speaks according to what is good and fitting, and to act like a fool undermines the teaching of wisdom and disobeys Yahweh. One cannot use unrighteous means to accomplish something righteous. The end cannot justify the means there is an essential difference that we must observe between verses 4 and 5. Here in verse 4, the proverb warns against the potential danger for the reader in answering the fool. Whereas in verse 5, if the fool is not answered, the danger is the continuation of the fool's erroneous thinking about himself and how he must be right. And so in verse 5, we find the proverb admonishing the reader to answer a fool according to his foolishness or else he becomes wise in his own eyes. The preposition according to here means in relation to or corresponding to. Thus, a wise person is to answer a fool in a way that corresponds to or addresses the particular foolishness that the fool articulated. It is necessary for a fool's foolishness to be answered. For if the fool goes unanswered, the consequence is that he will think his alleged wisdom is, is sound and superior, and thus he will arrogantly elevate his own wisdom, that is his thoughts and reasoning, above that of Yahweh's. The reason why a wise person must answer the fool's preposterous talk is because he is not to passively and silently accept the foolishness that is spouted off by the mouth of a fool. For the sake of the well-being of God's people, a fool's mouth must be stopped. But this is not the primary concern of the proverb. The intended aim of answering a fool is so that he does not become wise in his own eyes. Thus, the wisdom that speaks against a fool is to the end that the fool does not become arrogant and think he is right and displace wisdom from its proper preeminent seat. If foolishness is not answered, it lends to turning all who hear the fool away from the fear of Yahweh because of the confident boasting of the fool and it permits the fool's distorted views to remain intact and in effect. Looking at verses 4 and 5 together, as a pair of proverbs that is conveying a coordinated truth, we can conclude that to exercise godly wisdom means that a fool should be answered, so that his foolishness does not go unchecked, freely replacing wisdom. But when answering a fool, one must take care that they do so in a way that is proper, and fitting of the character of wisdom in order to avoid becoming like the fool himself. Furthermore, there is a time and a reason to speak against a fool, and there is a time and reason to leave a fool to their own devices. Part of wisdom is also being able to discern the difference. Knowing how to act is only part of the equation. The other half is knowing when one should act. But whenever we do act and speak, We should do so with wisdom, as the Apostle Paul instructs in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6, where he says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, that is, unbelievers, making the most of your opportunities. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how you are to respond to each person. We are called to exhibit wisdom and godly character as we live with the fear of Yahweh. And this is all the more important to remember when answering a fool. Time will not permit for me to illustrate both proverbs independently, but I have an illustration about verse 4. I would like to recount for you an incident that captures a great example of this proverb in action. In 1997, Steve Jobs, co-founder of the computer and technology company Apple, was holding a question and answer forum with developers at Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference at San Jose Convention Center in San Jose, California. The Worldwide Developers Conference is an annual conference held by the Apple Corporation where attendees can come and participate in hands-on labs with Apple engineers and listen to in-depth talks and presentations about Apple technology. During the q and session at this particular conference, one guest stood up, walked to the microphone, and proceeded to say this. Mr. Jobs, you're a bright and influential man. It's sad and clear that on several accounts you've discussed, you don't know what you're talking about. I would like, for example, for you to express in clear terms how, say, Java and any of its incarnations addresses the ideas embodied in OpenDoc and when you're finished with that perhaps you can tell us what you personally have been doing for the last 7 years what many people may not realize is that Steve Jobs had not been at Apple for the past 7 years in 1997 he had only been recently installed as the company's CEO previously in 1985 Jobs had been fired from his own company Apple And after a brief midlife crisis, he and a former colleague started a new company called Next. Then in 1996, Apple purchased Jobs' company Next for $429 million and installed Jobs as the interim CEO of Apple. But what is most astonishing about this audience member's remark is the clear insult to Jobs' technical knowledge and understanding of Apple technologies, like OpenDoc, and competitor technologies like Java and their specific similarities and differences. But despite this person's clear accusatory and derogatory attitude toward Jobs, Jobs responds to the antagonistic statement with incredible tact and care. Before answering, Jobs pauses and takes a breath. This is a critical step for anyone replying to an insult. When someone attacks us, Our natural tendency as a human being is to defend ourselves and retaliate, often responding with an insult in return, in order to deter the person from continuing their assault on us. Jobs could have easily rattled off a comeback statement that undermined the person's remark and turned it back on them, or described his obvious success in business and superior understanding of technology or simply dismissed the insult as coming from a naive individual fueled by a motive of jealousy or anger towards him. But Jobs does none of these. Instead, he proceeds to deliver a masterful response that completely rebuts the insult and even turns it to his advantage, using it as a means to share his future vision for Apple and establish his credibility as the CEO. Jobs does five things that show he didn't get offended and sucked into the insult from the guy in the audience. First, Jobs gives credit to the question but then frames the question in a different context. Jobs begins his reply like this, You know, you can please some of the people some of the time, but one of the hardest things when you're trying to affect change is that people, like this gentleman, are right in some areas. Jobs doesn't just fire back after being insulted by ranting about himself and how he is the CEO and is the one making the decisions, not the individual in the audience. Instead, he tips his hat to the individual and then reframes the question in terms of what is inevitably involved in affecting change. Some people will be disappointed. Change means something different is going to happen. And when something different happens, something else is left behind or done away with, and not everyone is going to be happy with that. Number two, Jobs admits his own limitations in knowledge and praises the hard work of others. He explains, I'm sure that there are some things that OpenDoc does, which is one of Apple's software programs, probably even more that I'm not familiar with, that nothing else out there does, And you know, I'm sorry that OpenDoc is a casualty along the way. And I readily admit that there are many things in life that I don't have the faintest idea what I'm talking about. So I apologize for that too. But there's a whole bunch of people working super hard right now at Apple. The whole team and hundreds of people. What Jobs is saying is that he isn't the end-all be-all. And that Apple software isn't perfect and that he's sorry for having to discontinue some of the software projects, like OpenDoc. He is acknowledging that some things that Apple tries just don't work out, and the company needs to move on. But there's a lot of people working really hard to make the best technology products possible, and that's what's important. Number three, Jobs uses his personal experience as the basis for his perspective. He says, One of the things I've always found is that you've got to start with the customer experience and work backwards for the technology. You can't start with the technology and try to figure out where you're going to try and sell it. And I made this mistake probably more than anybody else in this room. And I got the scar tissue to prove it, and I know that it's the case. Number four, Jobs offers his vision to help everyone see the big picture. He says, as we have tried to come up with a strategy and a vision for Apple... It started with, what incredible benefits can we give to the customer? Where can we take the customer? Not starting with, let's sit down with the engineers and figure out what awesome technology we have, and then how are we going to market that? And I think that that's the right path to take. What started out as a pointed comment, or rather insult, from the audience member about his view of Jobs' negligence and inadequacy as the new CEO of Apple, Jobs turns into an opportunity to, to share his vision for the company and to bring people into his world and the way he intends to lead the company. And lastly, number five, Jobs gives an inspiring conclusion that is forward thinking and points people toward the progress that is being made. He concludes with, some mistakes will be made along the way. That's good because at least some decisions are being made along the way. When we find a mistake, we'll fix it. I think what we need to do is support that team going through this very important stage as they work their butts off. Mistakes will be made. Some people will be pissed off. Some people will not know what they're talking about. But I think it's so much better than where things were not very long ago. And I think we're going to get there. In concluding his response, Jobs sets before the audience the way he thinks about progress. And how people do make mistakes, but then they also learn from them and fix them. And as Apple continues to do this, it will grow and become better and get to the place where it needs to be. Thus, what could have been taken as an insolent, off-the-cuff remark by a no-named person in the audience wanting to take a cheap shot at Jobs, Jobs seamlessly takes and reshapes into a platform by which he is able to share the value and experience he is bringing to the company, his apology for not being able to make everyone happy by ensuring the success of every software endeavor of the company, and his forward-thinking approach with everyone learning and improving together along the way. Jobs doesn't speak to a fool according to his foolishness, but rather rises above the temptation and the personal attack in order to achieve something greater. If Jobs would have stooped to the level of his antagonist, and gotten swept up in the insult by railing back at the guy, he would have shown himself to likewise be a fool, confirming the person's accusations by demonstrating their truth to everyone else present at the conference. We must be careful not to make a fool of ourselves when responding to another's foolish statement, whether about us or someone or something else. Wisdom tells us to be discerning and careful with what we say and how we say it. Remember, it is a best practice to pause and collect our thoughts before responding, because once foolish words proceed out of our mouth, we can't take them back, even if we wanted to. We will have shot ourselves in the foot, and people will call us the fool instead. Thanks so much for listening to the Truth or Tradition podcast. We hope you're enjoying this new series on the words of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And for more biblical resources, you can visit our website, truthortradition.com. And there you can subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of the future resources that we post.